Well, let's turn back to the portion that was read, Numbers 20. And as Brother Dunn said, and rightly so, we've been in chapter, well, not Numbers only, but Exodus, and then we skipped over into chapter, uh, the chapters of Numbers at this time. So Exodus and Numbers, where this story is given, the historical account of the Jewish people leaving the world, Egypt, and going toward the Promised Land. And we've considered actually 11 items, um, occasions, I was going to say items, 11 occasions where they have complained. Um, <clears throat> some people say up to this point at seven, we've done extra complaints that found in the word. And we have another one here today. Now, if you remember way back when we started looking at this, we were looking at Mara. What happened at Mara? That's a long time ago. Bitter waters, thank you. Bitter, Mara. That's what it means, bitter waters. And uh, they were only three days out from crossing the Red Sea when that happened. So they were only a week or so out of Egypt and they're complaining about the bitter waters. Then what happened at Rephidim? This is in Exodus. These are chapter 17. No one came to have a go at it. <laughs> It was the lack of water at Rephidim, and they were complaining, remember, complaining about the bitter water and all the other complaints in between, but we're just picking on the waters today. And so Rephidim, Exodus 17, there was a lack of water. And what happened, or how did God provide the water on that occasion? I've got one. <laughs> I fell down there yesterday. <laughs> He, he hit the rock. Whoops. <laughs> hit the microphone once. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and so that was at Rephidim. And what happened? <laughs> Water gush good. Thank you. We remember. And provided. And all these occasions. And we went back to the New Testament on different occasions talking about the water of life. And we'll do that to conclude the message today. Now we come to Meribah Kadesh. Numbers chapter 20. And here Moses is told to do what? Speak to the rock. And not smite the rock. Now this is 38 years out of Egypt. Three days or about a week and a bit more from Egypt. The first one. The next one was a few months out of Egypt when they smote the rock. And this one is 38 to 40 years out of Egypt. What are they still doing? complaining <laughs> you know what this is a perfect picture of some Christians lives they never grow up they never stop whinging and complaining instead of rejoicing in the Lord Meribah Kadesh and uh, <clears throat> what an example I pray that we learn some lessons from this and we learn them well and move forward let's pray thank you Lord for your word and thank you for the water of life that gives us eternal life, the Lord Jesus. Drink of this water and you will never thirst again, said the Lord to the woman of Samaria. And uh, the well is deep and Jacob dug it. And how are you going to get water? Well, we know it's simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we believe that he died for our sins, was raised again is now seated interceding for those that believe and we can by faith come that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead we are promised thou shalt be saved and Lord we can come to the water of life and partake freely it's an open fountain it's free for all who would come and I pray if there be those that are unsaved here today that they might come to the fountain of water of life the Lord Jesus and receive life ere it's too late, and they travel life's road without believing and receiving the gift of God. Bless, Lord, those of us who are Christians, Lord. We are challenged by these messages more so probably than the unsaved people because this speaks of 
an unsanctified, unholy, defeated Christian as they wandered in the wilderness. May we not be that, but Lord, be in Canaan, in the promised land, enjoying the victories of the battle. Bless as we consider these thoughts in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> so we come to the third and final occasion of the water. And it's Mirabah Kadesh. We first of all have in verse 1 the obituary and at the end of the chapter which we didn't read the obituary of Miriam and Aaron. It reads simply then came the children of Israel even to the whole congregation into the desert of Zin in the first month and the people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried. That's it. A faithful servant of the Lord and uh, with if it wasn't for her, Moses wouldn't have been, remember, the, the bulrush and back there in Egypt and setting the little Moses in the ark and uh, helping to Pharaoh's daughter to call the mother to take care of him. And so here we find God's work done God's way will bring God's blessing. Vernon McGee said of this chapter, Chapter 20 opens with the death of Miriam and it closes with the death of Aaron. So this chapter is bounded to start and finish with death. It also contains the sin of Moses and the sin of Edom, which we won't, we'll cover the sin of Moses, but not Edom. Yet this is an important chapter because it marks the end of their wandering in the wilderness for the 40 years. This is the end of that wandering. The defeated Christian life as it were and uh, so then they do, do the marching into Canaan the victory of the Christian life and maybe we should do a few of those the battles that won, that were won over there what was the first town they captured when they got into the land of Canaan just crossing the Jordan Jericho. Remember Jericho. Remember the story from Sunday school and the, the victory at Jericho. And if you if you drive there, you go past the Dead Sea going north, you, the Jordan's just there. It's just you know, you're like you're driving along the Murray Highway. There's the Murray. That Jordan's just there. And you look left. Oh, there's Jericho. <laughs> it it's all within just look like that, and you can see it. And so <clears throat> this is where they were about here. Going to victory. Uh, this section from chapter 14 to chapter 20 of Numbers is the only section that deals with the 40 years historically of wandering in the wilderness, and that's not very much. We have a few incidents that took place in these 40 years, but all this time Israel is out of God's will. What was God's will for them? Well, back at Kadesh Barnea, 38 years ago almost, they were to go into the promised land. And the ten spies brought up an evil report. And we've, we've looked at just recently at that. And now we're here at the other end of that time, 40 years almost later, and there's a few incidents there. Out of God's will. I think we can emphasize this today, that in, uh, in the sense of using typical teaching, it's pretty bad when a Christian gets saved young in, in their teenage years or a little later and then spends almost all their life on themselves out of God's will and doing their own thing and not going into the promised land. That's a shame. That's what the Lord Jesus referred to, I believe, in the um, parables where he said the ten, five and one talent that was given and the fellow with the one talent, what did he do? He buried it. And then the Lord came and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest I reaped where I sowed not, where I'm not strown, it says, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, return what I've invested in you. Why didn't you put it to the exchanges, the uh, money changes, that I might have mine own with interest at least? Folk, it's going to be 
like that. It's going to be real. We are going to stand before God. We are going to give an account of all that we have had and the privileges we've had and the opportunities we've had and the ones we've wasted and the times we've in the wilderness. We, it's going to happen. We're going to die, aren't we? <laughs> but then we're going to give an account because we're going to have a new body to face the Lord in, an immortal body. Well, here's the account. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, McGee goes on Vernon McGee Israel is out of God's will there's little to tell we can talk about Israel being God's chosen people but they didn't amount to anything except when they were in God's will that sounds familiar it's got a ring to it for Christians today and it's true today he said he goes on it is also true of you and me that we don't amount to anything when we're out of God's will that's why Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and learn it young. You know when young, most people are challenged at camp or in young days, where the Lord speaks to them after they're saved, and he, he's, he's desiring them to do his will for their life and to spend it for him, and they... And it's a dangerous time because you're young and maybe not as mature as, well, you're not as mature as older Christians and you can make a decision that can affect your whole life and eternity back then. Can you think back to a time when God definitely spoke to you at a meeting, might have been at church, might have been at camp, might have been at a conference or something. You know, he come knocking and said, I want your life. I want you to spend it for me. And so far you haven't done that. Understand what the will of the Lord is. When you and I are not functioning, I read on here, in the body of believers exercising the gift that he has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are as unnecessary as a fifth leg on a dog. That's how he explained it. I mean, that's Vernon McGee, if you've read any of his writings. We cause problems, promote disputes, cause divisions, sap energy, cause discouragement. Exhaust resources in the church, burn out others, grieve God. Are you a blessing or are you a burden? There are believers with genuine needs. But when we sulk and pout like these people in the wilderness, like the nation of Israel, God is not pleased. He doesn't moddy coddle them and swoon over them saying, Poor child, you're full of self and you're... <laughs> He, he said, you're going to die in the wilderness. That's what he said back at Kadesh Barnea because of your disbelief and your lack of desire to go forward and win some victories for the Lord. And woe to the parent I've put down here or pastor who, who backs the whinging child. They ever remain babies. I've seen that over and over again where parents, modicoddle and try to satisfy the whinging of a, a child we had a lady who's not with us anymore an elderly lady <laughs> and she would be in a stall where children the parents were there the little kids were there and the kids were climbing over everything and that and she disciplined them <laughs> and then she was disciplined by the parents <laughs> but you know if we do not do that for our children. Young people, if you're going to get married and you're going to have children, learn the fact that you don't satisfy the whingings of a discontented child. You teach them and discipline them and train them to, yes, life is not, oh, that's Malcolm Fraser, not meant to be easy. <laughs> Way back there, he said as a prime minister. And it is not. You're born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. That's what Peter said in his scripture, I think it was he uh, <clears throat> don't multicolor <laughs> a long time ago when we were doing a study for youth ministry in the curriculum we're going to use I think it's pro proteins it was they said here's a basic principle you get what you honour if you honour the Christians that are always whinging and upset like these people then you'll get more of them because people see that the leadership they're always running to that person 
trying to meet their needs instead of to the spiritual one that's doing the right thing and serving the Lord well I have to whinge to get his attention so or their attention and leadership so let's all whinge and you get more of what you honor and I think it's a, a principle that as I've looked through that's what happens so we have this obituary here of um, Miriam how much is said about her in this it's like that reference I was I thought of when I looked at this let the dead bury the dead <laughs> so some others have thought of that too um, now Miriam wasn't dead spiritually but we're moving forward this is history we're moving forward and there's one verse given there of the record there's no obituary there's no uh, lengthy one that's given she died there and she was buried uh, that's it so and at Aaron at the other end of the chapter is a little bit longer and he, he was a, a case where Moses and he were to go up and they were going to die and and actually they went up on the mountain and Moses took all his Aaron's garments off him all the special things for the priesthood and gave them to us at Eliezer I think and then <clears throat> he died I mean, he knew when he was going to die, and not many of us do, but he did. So Moses, uh, Aaron died as well there. The objection of the congregation is seen in verse 2, <clears throat> and down to verse 6. There was no water for the congregation. They gathered themselves against Moses and against Aaron. Now remember where they are. They've been here before. It wasn't about water, but it was about the 12 spies bringing home a report. And they're gathering themselves. I thought they would have learned. All their mums and dads have died. These people that are complaining are now the ones that were 20 and under. And they're complaining again to Moses. Hadn't they learned? Had they seen the water? Yes, they'd seen the water from the rock. They'd seen the bitter water hills. They'd seen other miracles that had happened in the wilderness. Defeating some of the enemies that they come across. But they still, they're still objecting. As you compare 20 and verse 1, and we won't do it, but with chapter 33 and verse 8, they stayed here about three or four months on this occasion. Here Moses is forbidden to see the promised land because of what he did. Deuteronomy 32:51 and Numbers 27 verse 14 refer to that. <clears throat> so back at Kadesh, 38 years of wandering, 38 years of going around in circles, do you sometimes feel like that? You just going around circles in life? <laughs> Ever been doing a job and it failed? At the end of the day, you start all over again? Yep, I think we've all done that. <laughs> Made a mess of it. <laughs> Remember building a dam at, Mar Lake, uh, at um, Murrindindi for the campsite. Frank Lacey and I were there camped in a caravan and uh, we had a thunder, what a burst when it all rains heavy, whatever they call them. And we were in the dam. We were making, we dug the foundation out and we just got it leveled up with creek level again. We'd gone down a bit about this deep and then it put, and it just flooded the whole lot. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, you feel like you're going round in circles, you defeat all this dirt that we got out, it was good dirt, it's all dirt, mud now, it's mud. Huh? And so we went up and dug all the tent sites, the cabin sites and the main site for the building and, and dug all them out <laughs> and waited for about a week and a half and we didn't have much long after that to get it all done, get back to the dam and finish the dam. But it, was, it felt like you're going round in circles, but we used it instead to do something else um, this is these people round and round and literally if you look at the passage that they travelled the area they tra they were going round in circles <laughs> and it, for the Christian that not in God's will he is what? going around in circles it's obvious from this thought here uh, <clears throat> here they said would to God we died they didn't really mean that Otherwise, they would have done something, you know, to, to bring it on. There's no water. Would to God we'd die. This is what they were often saying in verse 3. When our brethren died before the Lord. Now, that was a pretty graphic time with Korah and others that died and the outsides of the camp on different occasion before the Lord. 
would to God we died. No, they didn't want to die. They wanted to go into the promised land. Very few people want and wish death upon themselves. And uh, there are those that suicide, but there are those that uh, (laughs) pretend to suicide. Been in the back of an ambulance with one somebody that did that, <laughs> pretended to suicide. But what were they? What were they looking for? Attention, self-seeking, and you can you could tell by their conversation they weren't wanting to die. They were wanting to get somebody's attention. And death is unnatural for man. We don't want to die. We were made to live for eternity. But they were complaining and whinging again on this occasion. <clears throat> Here, there, as I say, back at Kadesh, here they're almost about to fail again. This is their second opportunity. Isn't God good? Forty years later, he's given them another opportunity. Ah, we might have messed our life up, but God gives us another opportunity. God is a good God. He's a very gracious God. He's a very long-suffering God. And even when we're in the wilderness, there will be the blessings Though small they be, as compared with what it would have been if you'd gone to the promised land. And God is good, even though we whinge against him. Who, who in this congregation has never whinged to God? We'll send a deacon out with you and have a chat. <laughs> We've all done it. We've all complained. We've all complained. And uh, <clears throat> second opportunity... Messed up the first time, God gives them a full, uh, a full circle and back here. As it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-one about Peter, Satan hath desired to sift thee. Are we going to fail when we're sifted and wander around in the wilderness? In 2 Timothy four eleven, John Mark is spoken about. He was out, he, com- he committed himself as a young man to, to go with Paul and Silas into the ministry of church planting all over Europe or Turkey basically and uh, he got there and going got tough you read the occasion and he and he nicked off that was it he he couldn't stand this anymore I'm going home and he went went home and then when Paul and Barnabas were about to go on the next missionary journey Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and, and and a reference says he that didn't stay with him in the ministry it makes that point and Paul said, no way, he's not coming with us. He, he chickened off last time. He backed out. He did a Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. We're not taking him. And the contention was so sharp between them. These are men of God planting the churches that would influence the world. And they split. Barnabas because of John Mark. But in 2 Timothy 4.11, John Mark, Paul said, is profitable to me for the ministry. He'd gotten things sorted out in his life. He'd gotten over the defeat that that had happened back there. And uh, he was profitable for the ministry. And praise God, he gives us another opportunity. And so the objection of the congregation is seen there. They strove with (coughs) Moses and Aaron there (laughs) in verses 2 through to 6. And then we have in verse 5, well, let's read verse 5. Therefore, have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? They hated the joint. (laughs) They hated this wilderness. I think any of us that were in that situation might say the same thing, wandering around in a wilderness in a desert for 38 to 40 years. There's no place of seed. There's no place of figs. There's no place of vines. There's nothing green around. No pomegranates. And if it's like it was down at Arad, it was very arid at Arad, south of Jerusalem, it was, just, it was just desert. It was as bad as, it was worse. It was worse than at Andamooka out there in the, when we've travelled out there, where somebody in the back of a sign put, damn devil country, because it was so arid and so desolate, desolate that, that that's what they thought of it. And this is what they thought of this place. Nothing green, no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle. In verse 6 of the congregation, they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So what did Moses and Aaron do again? And praise God for their faithfulness, their consistency. They did the right thing, even though it was the same thing again. 
They went before the door of the tabernacle and they fell on their faces. They prostrated themselves before God. They prayed fervently and humbly for this people. I wonder if Moses in his mind was thinking, oh no, we're back at Kadesh and it's going to happen all over again and it's going to be another 40 years in this place. I don't know if he thought that, but they humbled themselves and prayed fervently to God. And what happened in verse 6? The glory of the Lord appeared. And so we can call our attention to the fact that every time that these people murmured and complained, the glory of the Lord appeared. Isn't that good? <laughs> that God appeared. God was displeased with their complaining. And I think these people were getting used to this circular lifestyle. When they complained and the glory of the Lord appeared, uh-oh, what's going to happen? They didn't know what was going to happen. Is the earth going to open up? Is water going to be provided? How is God going to respond to our complaining? And that should make us realise as Christians that whinge and complain we're not pleasing to God. Well, the true matter of the fact is that we are walking carnally and not as Christians ought to walk. And so the objections of the congregation, we see thirdly the order of God. The order of God, that is, he gave an order to Moses and Aaron. In verse 7, to, he said or to, to Moses, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth its water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast to drink. Now, praise the Lord. <laughs> We can drink of the Lord Jesus Christ at any time, particularly when we surrender to him. Why were they to speak to the rock this time? I think we all know the importance of this. Why were they not to hit or smite the rock again? Because in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6, it tells us there the rock had been smitten. The rock, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ, was smitten how many times one time remember one time one time not twice because this is a picture as it tells us and we'll get to that in the new testament that it is a picture of the lord jesus christ speak don't smite god wants absolute obedience words in the bible are important and the interpretation of them what they mean some people say don't be so fastidious about little things like that well, they were here. Speak, speak, not smite. For Christ was smitten but once. In Romans 6.10, it tells us, For in that he died, he died unto sin how many times? Once he was smitten. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. And it emphasizes this point over and over in these chapters, chapter 7 and verse 27. There, <clears throat> who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did how many times? Once, when he offered up himself. Chapter 9 and verse 12 of the book of Hebrews. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 26 of, the, of chapter 9, it reads there, Then he must oft have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And chapter 10, verse 10, and chapter 10, verse 12, and 14. It all mentions just once. First Peter says once in chapter 3 and verse 18 as well. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The order of God is once only sacrifice. Christ only needed to die once. And I emphasize this because it is very important. It costs Moses the promised land. And it may cost us our eternity if we believe something different than what is given in the scriptures. If we believe, like some, 
who practiced the blasphemous doctrine of transubstantiation. That's a big word for a little mouth. <laughs> transubstantiation. There's consubstantiation, but we're looking at transubstantiation. Trans. What do you add to the front of that to get a truck? A trans... Well, transport. <laughs> trans. It's moving. Constant. Transubstantiation. is changing. And it's those that believe the elements of bread and wine when the Lord's Supper is celebrated. We call it the Lord's Supper. Other people call it something different. The Eucharist, uh, the Catholics. They turn into the body and blood of Christ at the time they consecrate them. Consecrate them. They call them the host. That is, this is the Christ. This is the living Christ. This is his actual body and actual blood that they have in the elements. We call them symbols only, but they call them the blood and body of Christ. They crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. And it's a very evil thing. Because he died once and he's not going to die again and again and again when they do that. And many will not practice anything until they get the host the consecrated elements in their midst and then the priest gives it gives it to them as they partake can they crucify the son of god afresh is it really happening no they're just elements they're just the bread and the juice and not to do that the order of god is once only was his son to be crucified Never again. You see, in this we can deduce a lot of things. In the future, when we all get to heaven, is God going to say, ah, let's make another world. <laughs> let's make another planet and a system with men in it again. No, it's not going to happen. He died once. He died for us. That we might be cleansed of our sin. And so the order of God is laid down. We need to pay attention to particulars in the scriptures. Now we come to verse 9 and 10. The obedience of Moses only to the middle of verse 10. Then we see something else. <laughs> verse 9, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. He is obedient. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rod. So here it is. He's obedient thus far. Up to the middle of that verse 10, he obeyed God's instruction. God desires of us complete, not partial obedience to the letter of the law, we could say. <coughs> if you have been in a court and seen a judge that goes by the letter of the law, um, it's like throwing the book at the person. That's it. This is what the law said. No grace, no mercy. That's it. <laughs> um, <coughs> other judges are more lenient and they go by what they think the law should say on this occasion. And that's why we've got a lot of people running around that have been really should be locked up. <laughs> Because and they cause havoc in community, and they recommit another offence, another offence, and so it goes, and it costs and costs, and some, sometimes it can cost a person's life. Well, here, God is saying, "This is it. I've told you what to do. You think of partial obedience, not complete obedience." We sung the song "Trust and Obey" to start with. In First Samuel chapter fifteen, who was it that did partial obedience? And he tried to shift the blame like we do as sinners. First Samuel chapter 15. Nathan, no sorry, Samuel, the prophet, had to speak to him. It was Saul. Saul, remember? He went down, the Malachites, and he was told to kill everything, animals, everything. Not to bring nothing home. And he was partial in his obedience. And when he came, Samuel said, What meaneth the bleating of the sheep? What do I hear? What have you done? Well, we kept them for sacrifice. <laughs> we are spiritual people. <laughs> We've kept the best of the flock. And they brought the king along too, I believe. <laughs> and the Lord said through the prophet Samuel that day, this day is the kingdom taken from you. And Saul would have been flabbergasted. What? I'm just doing it for a spiritual reason. You see, slight deviation from the truth 
And you read the occasion, 13 to 20, 26 in that chapter. And it cost him the kingdom. Uh, <clears throat> Solomon's benediction in First, First Kings chapter 8 and verse 61, it reads there, Let your heart therefore be perfect. And that word perfect is wholehearted with the Lord your God to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as at this day. Let your heart be perfect, the commitment and dedication of the temple. Let your heart be wholehearted, perfect, going to God's word and keeping what you read. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 1 to 3, or part of verse 1, it says, Set thine house in order. To King Hezekiah it was said, For thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart or perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And he wept sore. And what did? And God didn't say he hadn't walked perfectly and hadn't walked like many kings into disbelief, but he had kept God's word perfectly and in truth and God gave him what? Another 15 years as he prayed. He, and, and God could say, yes, he did keep the law wholeheartedly. He kept what God had committed to him. In Numbers 32 and verse 12, and it's talking about Caleb here, save Caleb the son of Jehoshaphat, whatever, the Kezanite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they wholly followed the Lord. Perfectly. Obedience. Perfect obedience wholeheartedly follow the Lord God wants us to do that but not to be partial and partially fulfilling that which God has committed to us now verse the last part of verse 10 and 11 now we read there in the last part of verse 10 and he said Moses said to them hear now ye rebels <laughs> must we fetch water out of this rock and Moses lifted up his hand with his rod and smote the rock twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank in their beast also. <laughs> Here Moses is forgetting himself. <laughs> Must we fetch water out of the rock? Did Moses fetch water out of the rock? Come on, Moses. Who did it? Did you do it? I can... <laughs> the only time you suck on a rock is it when you're in a desert and dying of thirst that's it you put a rock in your mouth and get the saliva going I've, I've never done it don't, have, don't want to do it <laughs> but you don't get water out of the rock <laughs> you've done it yeah there you go that's why he's got no teeth <laughs> no he has <laughs> but <clears throat> water out of the rock Moses come on be truthful with yourself. Don't lie like this to yourself. Moses is not fetching water. God is the one who's providing that. And that's a picture of Christ. So there's some things here that Moses did is not good. They need to learn a lesson here. And I'm going to teach it to them. And he wasn't teaching them about Christ. He was teaching them about his anger and himself. Must we, he took to himself the honour that was only due to the Lord. It's God's work. It's not our work. And if anything happens, it's because God does it. Remember what it says? Paulus, I planted, Apollos watered, and, and then what? God gave the increase. God gets people saved. God's get, God gets people walking as obedient Christians. God does it with his Holy Spirit and conviction of his word. Praise be to him. Uh, speak to the rock. Verse 8. He disobeyed God's clear command and smote it. Smote it twice. Some people say, well, it was him smiting the rock twice and not only once. This was his disobedience here. No, it wasn't that. He was just a speak, not smite at all the rock. That had already been smitten, but once. So he smote the rock. <laughs> How do you think he did it? Tap, tap. How do you think Moses hit the rock? Whack, whack. <laughs> Almost broke the stick. And, uh, in, his, in his anger, he was 
very angry in doing this. He smote the. We can tell by the way the words that he used here. He smote the. He lost his temper. Who hasn't lost their temper? We've all lost our temper, haven't we? If you don't confess, we'll ask someone <laughs> near you. <laughs> Forgive us. We do, Lord. He, and then verse ten. Ye rebels. <laughs> Who's he talking to? The people of the Lord. Use harsh words when speaking to God's people. <laughs> when people go round and round in circles, and when they continually do the wrong thing, when you know they're going to hurt themselves, and you can't talk to them about it because they just erupt. What do you feel like saying? Rebel. You just get with it. <laughs> and you, that's what we would feel like doing what Moses did do. We're just human. Christian leaders are just human. They had to be sanctified people, yes. And the, the uh, not soon angry, I think, is one of the things over there in the explanation of those that are to be preachers and, and elders in the New Testament. <clears throat> Must we, is his next phrase, was stirred about the need and despised them. Must we, I'm sick of doing this, I'm sick of going around here again and again. Won't you learn, don't you learn? Well, Moses needed to learn too. <laughs> he was stirred about the need and their need and despised them. Because ye believed me not. He had seen, this is in verse 12. Notice what the Lord said to Moses. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not. You see, you should have spoken to the rock. You should have been calm in your attitude. You shouldn't have been calling them rebels. You shouldn't have been taking the, the um, <clears throat> glory to yourself. Because ye believed me not. They had seen God's power work over and over again on their behalf when they fell before the Lord in their faces in prayer to him. But here he failed through unbelief. And that's why he wasn't to go into the promised land. And verse 12, it also says to sanctify God before the people. Everybody was looking on and heard Moses. I don't know if they all could hear him at the one time, but they heard what Moses did if they didn't hear him say it. To sanctify, to sanctify God before the people and didn't give God the glory. Whatever you do, it says in the Bible, in Corinthians, do all to the glory of God. And this was not done to the glory of God. Because ye rebelled against my word, in verse 24, it reads, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye, and that's including Moses now, rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. <clears throat> they rebelled against the word of the Lord. Folks, we get a anemic view of God if we don't study the scripture. We think he won't do something. He won't correct us as his children. He will. And the more responsible the position, the more heavy the rod comes down. He will do that to God's servants and people because he has to do that, because he's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And he does not want these things to be setting a bad example to people around. You rebelled. Have we been rebelling against the Lord? The offence of Moses cost him... To lead the people. Was he able at his age to lead the people into the promised land? You say, well, he died. Yeah, but God took him. Who else went in at, his, at the, almost his age? Caleb and Joshua. And when he got to the mountain, they were still able to fight the battles at 80-something years old they were. How would you be? Wielding a sword at 80. You can't even wield a hammer. A shovel. Can't even push the lawnmower that cuts it for you. Isn't that right? When you get about 80? Let, let. Yeah, some people are nodding. <laughs> At 60, you're still going, aren't you, Larry? Hope so. <laughs> you know, but here they went in and won the... 
Moses could have gone and taken the land in place of Joshua. And Joshua would have been, of course, in command of the armies. Oh, that we should have listened to the Lord when he knocks and speaks to us. And now the objection, the last point, the objection of God and the outcome there is given. The Lord spoke to Moses as we've looked at in verse 12 and verse 23. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. So the objection of the Lord. When we turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, and read this. <clears throat> I had it written and I can't find it, so I'll look it up with you. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. The outcome, we could say, of this example. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And it all eat the, eat the same spiritual meat, and it all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. There's no mistaking what all this means back there in Numbers and Exodus. Canaan is actually a picture of where you and I should live by faith. It's not a picture of heaven. We're in this wilderness and as I've said, some of us are wandering around in circles because we're disobedient to the Lord. We're in the spiritual wilderness. Christians saved, yes, but as 1 Corinthians 3 says, yet as by fire. We get in by the skin of our teeth to heaven. We don't bring anything with us to heaven. You say you can't take anything to heaven. Yes, your works will go to heaven and they will be judged. The rock is Christ. Let's not crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame by our disobedience and saying, the Lord hasn't done enough for me. Let's not be ones that wander around in the wilderness and complain and whinge all our lives. Let's just get to the work and do the work of the Lord. We've got very little time left to do it. Just do it. Remember that sermon? Was it Brother Glenn Weeks? Might have been Chris Hussard. Just do it. That was the name of the sermon. If God convicts you, just do it. They could have been in Canaan for 40 extra years, but they weren't because they didn't do it. They didn't obey the voice of the Lord. They didn't trust the spiritual rock that followed them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you walking in Canaan, winning the victories? Jericho first. <laughs> Ai. Bit of a hiccup there, but they eventually got it down and they went forward winning the victories, the southern campaign, the northern campaign and the different campaigns, the military campaigns to win the victory. That's what God wants in our life as Christians. Today, unbelief is our great sin also. Just like unbelief was Moses' problem, unbelief was the people's problem. We don't believe by faith. Let's follow the Lord's orders and do what he wants. Um, take him at his word and believe him. And as it said there, the water came out obediently. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I think. He smote the rock twice when he's supposed to speak to it, and what happened? The water came out anyway. God is good. <laughs> and I would liken that to, you see, those that are not where we are in sorrow separation and church and things are, whether they be more liberal, evangelical or whatever, and we were evangelical too. We go out and reach people. But where they're not completely obedient, but God blesses their ministry, the water comes out anyway. Praise God. And that's what Paul said in Philippians. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and he said, in that I do rejoice. But he also intimated, but I can't work with them. 
you read it in the Philippians because I know what God wants me to do to hold the line of truth. If somebody doesn't hold the line, where's it going to end? <laughs> if somebody wasn't disciplined enough to interpret the scriptures into our, into our English language, we wouldn't have it. Somebody had to do it and, <clears throat> and pass it on to us today. Let's close with Isaiah 55 and verses 1 and 2. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. The waters gushed out. <laughs> and he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? You know, you're running around in the wilderness, running around in circles and going nowhere. <laughs> what do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfies not. They were not satisfied. They were going to die in the wilderness. Hearken diligently unto me. Eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. In verse 7, well, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. For the unsaved person today, the message is, come to the water of life. As the Samaritan woman did in chapter 4 of the book of John, and as are invited here to do, and as everybody's invited to do in the last chapter, the last verse 17 of Revelation 22, it come to the waters and buy. Come to the Lord Jesus and have life. Christian, live the victorious Christian life. Don't be beating around in the wilderness, spinning your wheels, wasting your time, going round in circles and, and thinking of ourselves. The Christian that doesn't complain is usually the serving Christian. The Christian that complains and wants everybody to pay attention to them is a carnal Christian. And I pray that we are victorious Christians today doing his will. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the plainness of speech, the easy-to-understand illustration from the life of Moses and Aaron and the people of God. Thank you, Lord, that they did go in. They did win the victory. You did provide water from the rock, even though it was done in a wrong manner by the men. And, Lord, you still do that today. If, if it wasn't so, we wouldn't be here. Thank you for all your best blessings you pour upon us in our lives even when not walking as we ought. Forgive us, Lord, and may, may we receive a full reward on that day because we have committed ourselves to the challenge of the Spirit and the Word to our hearts. When we were young and whenever you came knocking at our door, we committed ourselves and said, Yes, Lord, here am I, send me. I will do what you bid me to do. May we practice complete obedience, not partial, and receive God's blessing now and in eternity.